The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast with your host, metaphysician, Reiki master, and hypnotherapist, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week, we will discover teachings, tips, and tools to radiate your best life ever with practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Welcome back to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today we radiate every moment with Rabbi Cohen, Rabbi Daniel Cohen in Stanford, Connecticut. Hello, Rabbi. It's good to have you. Thank you very much. It's good to have you too. You know, I've never had a rabbi on the podcast. Not yet. You're my first. Well, that's exciting. How long have you been doing the podcast for? Three years. Okay. Glad to be with Rabbi. Yeah, you're my first rabbi. That's wonderful. I've had unity ministers. Um, haven't had any. Yeah. So this is interesting. And you are the author of What Will They Say About You When You Are Gone? Creating a Life of Legacy. That sounds like a wonderful book. Um, can you tell us a bit about that book and why you wrote it? Sure. Um, I would say it really stems from two life experiences. Um one is um, when I was uh, in my early 20s, uh, my mom passed away from a brain aneurysm when she was 44 years old. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, in that moment, I certainly appreciated the value of the gift of life. In one instant, somebody could be with us. And in another instant, they're no longer there. Wow. And my mom always lived with a great sense of appreciation of the value of every day. You'd ask her how she was doing. She'd say, no matter what was going on, thank God, fantastic. Always a great sense of mission. But when she died at such a young age, obviously it just turned my life around, my whole family around. I'm the oldest of six children. And it awakened for me you know, a greater sense of making the most of every day. And then when I got to the same age as my mom, when she died, I took a harder look at my own life. And I asked myself, am I doing the most with the life that God has given me to maximize my potential and help make the world a better place? And what I found is, and this is really the premise of the book, 
is that we all have these moments that are inner awakening. Somebody can experience a tragedy in the family. Somebody could be sick. And for 24 hours, maybe we're focused on being more intentional about living. And then we go back to life as usual until the next awakening takes place. But that's not the way life is meant to be led. And what I help people do is I help identify for them what is the best version of themselves? How do they want to be remembered? And then I take them on a journey of seven principles to reverse engineer their lives so they lead the lives now for how they want to be remembered. And it was my personal experience with my mom, but also as a rabbi, you know, with people where somebody will say, Rabbi, pray for me, I'm going into the hospital. Or in a moment of some event in their life, they're really focused, and then they just go back to old habits. And we're really missing out in so much in life. We're not tapped into the highest frequency of living. And the goal of the book is to help people live life at the highest frequency possible. Right. So you mentioned seven things that um, can help us establish. How did, how did you get these seven things? Where did they come from? It came from, I mean, it was not only, I would say, life experience, but I'm definitely steeped in, uh, in, in Jewish thought and the Torah. I had a lot of strong mentors in my life, my own personal experience. And I would say the genesis for the book actually was literally reading through over 100 plus eulogies that I had written for people and trying to distill from those eulogies what's the essence of a good life. Sure. And when I sit down with the family, which I have the privilege of doing and preparing for a funeral, and I say to them, tell me something about your mother and your father. It's very haunting and inspiring as to what are the memories that really essentially create a life of legacy. So studying those eulogies actually opened up for me a portal into a window of not just remembering about somebody, but how do we again deconstruct that so that we, with the help that we have, can lead a life that is more mindful, intentional, and eternal? I love that. Can you share those seven things with us? Sure. Read I mean, the book. Well, I read the book. Read the book. <laughs> I mean, I would say, I'll give you some examples. I mean, the first thing that's important that I start with in the book is this notion of developing your prototype. What is the kind of life you want to lead? And I ask people, and I do this in seminars, and, you know, or it's in the book actually as a toolbox, if there are five words that you want to be remembered by, what would they be? And even that question, I'll give you an example. I mean, I did this, obviously, many times. And somebody in a group said, well, I want to be remembered as a father, as a spouse, as a friend. And then he said, I forgot to write down that I'm a brother and I have a sister. And he said, I realize now just through this exercise that I need to invest more in that relationship because that relationship is really important to me. And I remember somebody told me about my mom, actually, and they said that they said that my mom was known as a stranger to no one. Those were her five words, a stranger to no one. It means that no matter who the person was, whether they came into her life for five minutes 
or for years, she really tried to reveal the divine in every human being. And when you can identify what kind of life do you want to lead, then we can begin to think about how do we get there. Like something else, for example, I'll ask people, if you have 24 hours to live, what would you do and why? Like what in essence is what's most important to us? Because we are so distracted, not only by our cell phones and the news, but we're bombarded by so much information that actually doesn't really reflect the essence of what is really what makes us tick? What's the essence of our soul? So I help people unpack that inside of themselves through these questions. You know, one other one I'll just throw out there is um, there's a wonderful book by Alan Patton where a soul confronts God at the end of their life. And God turns to the soul and says, where are your wounds? And the soul turns to God and says, I have none. And God turns to the soul and says, well, was there anything in this world worth fighting for? What have we done in this world that's worth going outside our comfort zone for? Answering questions like that makes us realize, what are we fighting for? What are we living for? And when we can identify that and articulate that, that becomes the first step in thinking about you know, how we actually don't only think about those things at the end of life, but how do we actually remain mindful of those on a regular basis? And there are then seven principles that I hope inspire people to keep that prototype front and center each and every day. I'll pause. I didn't even tell you the seven steps yet, but what are you thinking, my friend? (laughs) Well, I'm thinking I probably need to review my life. You know, I'm just thinking that I probably need to go back and, you know, heal some of the boneheaded things that I've done in my life. You know, we've all done boneheaded things. And uh, no, I think this sounds, this sounds wonderful. So when you talk about, and I do want to hear the seven principles, but when you talk about the legacy, what do you, what do you, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is, you know, let's say, for example, a person really at the end of the day, you know, you talk about what's written on a monument. Somebody wants to be known as somebody who had a good name, a good reputation, somebody who was filled with authenticity. I want to be known as somebody who anticipated acts of kindness, who didn't wait to be asked to do something, but I'm looking for opportunities to make a difference. I want to be known as somebody whose word is gold who you knew you could count on. Now, those appellations are the product of so many choices that we make every day. And that's a person's legacy. I personally want to be known that I'm an individual who, you know, one of the things I always want to try to bring light into a world of darkness. I want to find a way to lift somebody up, even if it's just for the um, briefest of moments to help give that person a greater sense of confidence in themselves and their ability to make a difference in the world. So those are really powerful um, legacies because a legacy is not just one act. That's important to recognize. Right. A person's legacy is generated by the small choices that we make every single day. You know, it could be when you come into the house and, you know, nobody wants to be remembered as the person that 
you know, my father and mother could never get away from work. They're always in the house, but they're looking at their phone during dinner. That's the worst thing. But it doesn't happen, though, just, you know, at a moment of one awakening. It has to be something that we're living with all the time. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, all of us want to really lead lives that are not just pleasurable, but purposeful. We all want to lead lives not of convenience, but of conviction. And we want to be known for leading lives that are soulful lives, not just lives of accumulation or accomplishment, but rather lives of giving and lives of love. And um, I just try to help people not impose something from outside themselves, but reveal that which is already inside of them. Because every human being has something unique to accomplish in the world that nobody else in the world can accomplish, but we oftentimes don't recognize um, that unique capacity that we have in our own world uh, to bring a little light into one corner of the universe. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And so back to these seven principles. <laughs> can you share just just a, a little bit? Doesn't even have to be all seven of them, but just what are some of the highlights of these seven principles we could live by? So I would say one of the principles that I talk about is called living inspired, um, which is very much related to the notion that every day is, is truly a gift. There's a wonderful story about an Italian man who was in his 90s and he got COVID like at the very outset of it about two years ago. He was very, very sick and he was on a ventilator uh, for a number of months. Uh, thank God he recovered and on his way out of the hospital, he was charged for the ventilator for one day. It was about 5,000, whatever the currency is um, in Italy. And he started to cry as he was leaving the hospital. And the doctor turned to him and said, are you crying because you can't afford to pay the bill? And he said, I'm not crying because I can't afford to pay the bill. I can pay the bill. He said, I've been breathing God's air for 95 years for free. Mm. And now I know how much one day's breath is worth. Now I'm going to start crying. You know, and the reality is, is that, I mean, I believe this. When I wake up in the morning, God is literally saying to me, I love you. I care about you. There's something for you to bring into this world, some light that is different than yesterday, different than tomorrow. And imagine if we lead our lives with that sense of not only love, but awareness that God breathes into us that gift. I'm going to do my very best to give that gift back to God by saying at the end of the day, my life really had meaning and purpose today. And that's what I mean by living inspired. It's this living every day with a heightened sense of gratitude of the gift and not taking anything for granted. I mean, another, another strategy, and to me, I think about this a lot. A, a number of years ago, um, I had a kidney stone. Oh, ouch. Ouch. <laughs> and it is extremely painful. The Judaism actually tries to um, guide us to live life with what is called radical amazement radical amazement 
Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel says, you should look it up. He says, everything is wondrous. Everything is beautiful. And, you know, when I had that kidney stone, I was in deep pain. But Judaism actually says, you know, there's a blessing that we're supposed to recite after we go to the bathroom. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. So the blessing is, thank God what is open is open and what's closed is closed. <laughs> And everything is working properly. Now, for somebody who's on dialysis, imagine the sense of gratitude they feel when they get a new kidney. Yeah. But here's the whole point. Don't wait for that kidney stone. Don't wait, God forbid, for the problems. Live life with that blessing every day and say, you know, thank God everything is working properly. And it gives us a moment to pause and recognize um, that every day is truly an opportunity to do something really beautiful in the world. Most times people have no recollection of what they do from day to day. Life literally becomes a blur. I don't remember what I did yesterday. I'm just here surviving. But life isn't about survival. It's really about thriving and finding a way to, to, to optimize, the, optimize the gift of, of every day. So that's one of the principles. It's called Living Inspired. Did you know that Radiate Wellness is more than just a podcast? That's right. We're also a comprehensive, holistic wellness practice. Find out about our services, practitioners, and upcoming events at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. While you're there... Visit our podcast page to read more about our great guests and even donate to the podcast. If you like our podcast, you can help in other ways as well, like subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening right now. Tell a friend, a family member, or a coworker about the great content you find here. And if you wouldn't mind, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, or a positive review. Sounds like a small thing, but it really helps. You might like to know about our Facebook communities while we're at it. We have a free community, the Radiate Wellness Community, on Facebook for news and great free content. Our subscribers group is Radiate U, as in the letter U, but also, well, you. There you'll find curated replays of past classes guest interviews, and more. And now, back to our podcast and back to our guest. Well, I just have a question. What happens mm -hmm. when we're not feeling inspired? When we feel like overwhelmed or blocked or just like, yeah, not inspired? <clears throat> well, I would say, you know, again, an important point is, and I, I talk about this a little bit also in the book, which is one of the principles called finding faith yeah which is a recognition that there are moments in life when things may seem blocked um and we may not experience that which we expect in life um there's a beautiful idea in the book of psalms which i use as a great source of inspiration written by king david where king david says in the psalms that god says i lift you up when you're down I lift you up when you're down. And the Hebrew word that's used there for down is the same word as door. 
that means is, is because sometimes we could spend most of our life banging on a door that God closed. Mm. And we think it's a wall. But God is saying it's not a wall. It's a door. Sometimes the greatest moments of growth happen through struggle. And sometimes we waste too much time lamenting the darkness when in fact God says, all I want you to do is increase the light. And that's why I put you in this dark place. One of the books that gives me a lot of inspiration is um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Yeah. And he talks about, again, it's not a matter of spending our time asking why does something happen because we don't understand why things happen. But we do have a responsibility to say, okay, well, how can I grow through this experience? How can I find renewed purpose in this experience? When somebody passes away, yes, there is going to be moments of tremendous grief as there was for me and my family when my mom passed away. But I truly see it as my life mission to instill more light in the world in her memory and to learn from the way that she led her life to be even more intentional about, intentional about exponentially increasing her light in the world. Um, and I also find, by the way, that when, when, we're, when we're feeling blocked, if we do good, we feel good. Sometimes people wait to feel good and then do good. That's not the way it works. Do the good and then you'll feel good. Yeah. As one of my mentors said, if you don't feel like giving charity, just put your hand in your pocket and give it anyway. And then God will give you a reason to feel even better about yourself and about the person that you're helping. Right. Well, I don't know if you can see this. Let me adjust my screen. I've got a shadow box with two spoons on the shelf oh. over me. Yeah, I see. They're from my grandmother's silver collection. Um, there's one spoon that's bigger than the other because it's the serving spoon. Because it's a reminder that serving is more important than taking. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Just a nice reminder, right? So, yeah, yeah, not even knowing why we're serving or not even doing it to feel, to feel good. But we do feel good when that happens. But to love thy dear neighbor... As yep. Avila would say. Right. Yeah, I mean, this relates to another, another principle, which is called discovering your Elijah moment, which to me speaks to the next step of where do we take that inspiration and gratitude? We have to move it into a place of giving. I call, I call, I call it the Elijah moment based upon a beautiful story. You know, some people have seen Elijah, some not. In the Jewish faith, Elijah shows up on Passover, you know, and Elijah comes into people's lives to lift them up. Um, There's a story about a fellow who went to a mystic and said, I want to see Elijah the prophet. He said, if you want to see Elijah the prophet, I want you to go into the forest. There's a widow there with her children and bring her food for the Sabbath. And I promise you'll see Elijah the prophet. So he goes deep into the forest with the food. He's there Friday night, Saturday, no Elijah. Finally, Sunday morning comes. He still hasn't seen Elijah. And he goes back to the mystic and said, you promised me I would see Elijah. The mystic says, go the following week, bring the food again. And I promise this week you'll see Elijah. 
So he takes the food, he goes deep into the forest. He's within earshot of the Oh no. And he hears a child crying out to the mother and saying, Mommy, where are we going to get food from for this Sabbath? And the mother turns to the child and says, just like Elijah came last week, Elijah's going to come again. And it was in that moment that he realized that he was the Elijah that this woman was waiting for. And discovering your Elijah moment means that we may not be able to change the world, but we can change the world of one person each and every day. And then we truly can lead lives of legacy and create an impact. And to me, that's probably one of the most powerful principles of leading a life of legacy. No encounter is random. Yeah. If we come in contact with another human being, I believe that God ordained that encounter to happen. And there's a moment that will never occur ever again in the entire world that we need to eternalize for helping lift that person up. Mark Twain said the two most important days of our lives are the day when we're born and the day when we understand why. Oh my gosh, that is profound. And, 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 and discovering your Elijah moment means knowing the why. And there's, I'll give you an example. I just came back from Israel. My daughter got married, one of my daughters. Yeah. And, um, you know, the... <laughs> I was getting ready to get in, in, in an Uber yesterday at JFK airport and a guy comes over to me and says, can I borrow your hotspot? I need to make a phone call. So he looked fine. So he gave me his phone. I popped in my hotspot. He made his phone call. I probably will never see him again in my life. But for me, it was a metaphor that we all have spiritual hotspots that people enter into. We have places that somebody may encounter us within five or 10 feet of our hotspot. It could be a cashier at the supermarket. It could be somebody who's behind us in a line. And if we use that opportunity to lift that person up, and that's the way we look at our lives, our lives will be radically different and our lives will be so much more eternal. Absolutely. I love that. And that's easy to remember, you know, we can share our phys- our spiritual hotspot to let people connect. Yes. Through our means. Exactly, exactly. Now, I want to just kind of circle back a little bit off off the topic of the book, but sure. um, did you always know that you wanted to be a rabbi? Well, when I was born, when I was like three months old, I told my mom and dad I wanted to be a rabbi. Just kidding. No. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that was like a one second delay laugh, but okay. Um, <laughs> well, hey, you know, it does happen. Sometimes we know. It does. Sometimes we just know. No, so I would say the following. I mean, I definitely grew up with a strong sense that life had meaning and purpose. And I grew up in a home that was joyous in terms of our connection to faith and inviting people in and had a strong sense of responsibility to people beyond my family. Um, But I would say that um, it was probably when I was in college, um, I'll never forget, somebody knocked on my door, I was a freshman in college, and asked if I wanted to be an advisor for a, a Jewish youth group. 
And I decided that I did. And I really began to realize then that not only did I have a talent for working with people and, and, and just helping people spiritually, but it was something that I, that I enjoyed a lot. And um, over the next number of years, um, I just felt that that was more of my calling. I wasn't sure whether I was going to go into education and work with kids or go more into the pulpit and work with adults. And I actually did both for a couple of years. And I just found a lot more life satisfaction in working with adults and really trying to connect people um, of all backgrounds within the Jewish community. But over time, you know, I see it as my mission very much beyond the Jewish community. I have a radio show with a pastor um, and really try to do a lot of work with people of all faiths because everyone's yearning for meaning and everybody's looking to be inspired and everybody has something unique to accomplish. And, you know, if there's a way for me to help inspire people to be more um, energized about the life that they have and fill the world with more kindness, then um, I feel that's where I need to be. And that's what I try to do all the time. I love that. Now, you mentioned a radio show. What's the what's it called? It's called The Rabbi and the Reverend. It's um, it's I do it. Um, it's on a, about a seven or eight stations around the country. It's with a Reverend Greg Dahl. Um, and it's usually on Sunday mornings, but it's also podcasted. You can find it, too. We've been doing it for about six years right now. You know, I think I've heard of it. Could be, could be. There's a couple of rabbi and reverends out there, but we have a really great relationship. And, you know, we find, even though we're of different faiths, you know, our life mission is very much aligned in terms of what we're trying to um, support people in. Um, so it's really a great opportunity for us to come together around a uh, unified mission. I think that's wonderful. And, and bridging that divide, bridging that gap at a time when there's so much division right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's really important. I mean, I think that we live in a world of hyperpolarization and div yeah. divisiveness. And um, there is so much more actually that unites us than divides us. I mean, we're all children of God. You know, God doesn't care whether you're Republican or Democrat, whether you watch Fox or CNN, the Wall Street Journal, or the New York Times. You know, the greatest joy for a parent is when their children get along. The greatest disappointment for a parent is when their children fight with each other. And I believe that the greatest joy we can give is when we see the divine in every other human being. We don't look at people for their you know, race, ethnicity, or faith, but really just try to see the divine within every human being. And I believe that we have the capacity to do that. We just need to be reminded a little bit more because we're living in a world that prides itself on conflict. Um, but that's where we come in with our work that we do, and you, of course, as well, which is to encourage people not to dig for the dirt, but to mine for the gold and, and to find the, uh, the commonality that exists among all of us. I love that. Don't dig for the dirt, mine for the gold. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, all right, so do you have any other books that you've got out there besides or um, your first one? 
Well, no, it's actually <laughs> I'm working on, I did a book before that called Mining for Gold, speaking of gold, by the way, <laughs> which relates to um, essays on the questions a person's going to get asked at the end of their life. And it was actually a, a compilation of, uh, of essays. The questions being, um, did you raise a family? Were you honest in business? Um, did you create impact in the world? Uh, and were you a person that had kind of uh, eternal values? So I wrote a book related to that. That was a compilation of essays. And I recently wrote a parable, which we're looking for a publisher for. It's called The Secret of the Light. It's a fiction book about a um, young man in the 1980s in New York City who's thinking of going into law. And he has a crisis of faith. I would say it's slightly autobiographical, you'll hear in a minute, where his mom passes away at a young age, and he loses faith in himself and in the world, and he discovers a street sweeper in Times Square named Elijah, who oh. sets him on a path to Jerusalem uh, to help him rediscover the light in himself and the light in the world around him. So that book is that book's done. I'm just looking for a publisher on that one, and now I'm working on another book with... Um, an NBA, former NBA star, Olympic guy, he's a friend, Alan Houston, who played for the New York Knicks for many years. He was on the Olympic goal team. So we're, we're writing a book together called um, Living, Rising Higher, Living Above the Net, um, Principles for Living, based on our own life experience and also insights from notable athletes uh, uh, all over. So that's my next book I'm working on. That's a wonderful idea. Um, that sounds like a great book. Well, so does your your auto, semi semi autobiographical. Yeah, that book is called The Secret of the Light. It's called The Secret of the Light, and it's based on a, a parable. Actually, in Jewish mysticism, there's a concept that says that at the very beginning of time, God created this divine light in the world, yeah. and then that light was so powerful that the vessels in the world cannot contain the light and the vessels broke. And then God's light was hidden in all places and all times throughout human history. And then God creates a humanity as a response to the hidden light. And every human being's role in this world is to heal the brokenness, to bring hope in places of despair and to bring light in places of darkness. And when a person lives their life understanding the secret of the light, their life becomes even more exponentially meaningful. And that's really what the main character understands is that rather than just kind of, again, lament the darkness that he's in, he has the capacity to discover light in the darkest of places and share his light with the world. Well, and so universal, too. You know, I think yeah. we all have a tendency to look at the darkness rather than where we can shine the light. There was, I think it was even Eleanor Roosevelt said, don't curse the darkness, light a candle. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure I butchered that. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Jewish mysticism, and that is something that has always, always intrigued me. Um, there's a family story that we may be Jewish. I'm not, I can't, I've not verified it yet. Um, but I've always been intrigued and the Jewish faith is very mystical. Do you feel that 
it's gotten away from that or you feel like it's just as mystical as ever? Oh, I think, you know, look, I mean, I think different people um, connect with different parts of any religion and Judaism for sure. It's a lot easier for people to connect with, you know, that which they can feel, they can touch, the ritual. Um, but at the end of the day, um, Judaism is very much and still is concerned about the journey of the soul. You know, all of our souls come into this world um, to try to bring godliness into a world that is physical, that is mundane. And the study of Jewish mysticism is really a way to um, literally enlighten and reveal our life purpose in the world. Mm -hmm. And if there's any generation in which we need reminders about what our life purpose is, because we have so many distractions now, um, so many things that get us away from our life purpose, I think Jewish mysticism um, is not only timeless, but very timely for the time in which we're in right now. Right. Well, and that is very mystical, <laughs> trying to bring light to these times, you know. Yes. You know, I, I would say even of the Catholic faith, faith, and I had um, Kristen von Uden on the podcast to talk about some miracles in the church, in the Catholic church. So again, very mystical beginnings, and you know, in some ways, it feels like maybe it's gotten away from it. But really, there's mysticism at the heart, and so I think when we when we look at these things that are otherworldly, that are bigger than ourselves, that are having to do with God, mm -hmm. that you know, if we return to the mysticism, I I feel that we return to the source of where we have these questions anyway if that makes sense. Yeah, no, 100%. I think, you know, and it's something that I think, as you said, I find that when people hear like things that I share or just Jewish mysticism, because we all have that honing device inside of us, which senses what life is all about. Mm -hmm. um, we feel warmed by it. We feel energized by it. Um, and it's a familiar voice to us. You know, when I ask people a question, like, how do you want to be remembered? Or do you want, you know, or for example, that story I shared with the um, Italian man who was sick and recovers. I mean, there's not a single human being that is not moved by that because we all recognize the fragility of life and that there's more to life than just, um, as Peter Lynch said many years ago when he retired from Fidelity, there's more to life than money and management. You know what I'm saying? There's purpose, there's meaning, there's love, there's giving without expectation of reciprocity. It's just try to make the world a better place as often as you can, and our lives will be exponentially more meaningful. Yeah, I agree. Wow. Um, this has been a very great conversation. It's been, it's like touched me many times. Thank you. Uh, very touching. If somebody wanted to connect with you and find out more yeah. about like maybe some upcoming workshops or upcoming events, where would they yeah. go? So they basically should go to uh, my website, which is www.rabbidanielcohen.com. Um, and they can reach me that way. And, you know, we can stay in touch, um, via that uh, website as well. They can send me an email. Oh, that's great. That's great. And then, of course, the, the name of the podcast and the radio show is The Rabbi and the Reverend. You got it. Yep. Is that available on all the main podcast channels? 
Um, most of them, they should probably Google it and they could probably get it faster that way too. But, um, you know, that's definitely something. And they should just go on my website. I have a lot of interviews on the website. I have videos on the website. So that's probably a good place to start if they want to learn more. Yeah, yeah. Looking at it now, the Rabbi Channel, <laughs> the media room, and uh, you've got some pretty impressive media spots here on your website. That is fantastic. And then also find out about your books. All right. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Rabbi Cohen. It's been a pleasure. The opportunity. Have a great day. You too. Radiate Wellness is an international community of holistic and alternative healers dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.